4: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, January 4th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the lieutenant governor previews the upcoming legislative session while considering safety measures during the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Then, a moratorium that prevents evictions has been extended by the federal government, but one apartment association leader says unpaid housing bills are still piling up for thousands of Mississippians. Plus, a museum district receives grant funding to create more engagement spaces for Mississippi families. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi lawmakers are scheduled to return to the capital city tomorrow for the legislative session. Last year's session brought a slew of promises, including teacher pay raises and criminal justice. But the coronavirus pandemic interrupted the regular calendar and altered some policy priorities. A rising awareness of racial injustice prompted lawmakers to retire the state flag in the summer, which was followed by a COVID-19 outbreak among members that halted business for months. With coronavirus transmission at a rate more severe now than ever, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman is proposing the legislature postpone the majority of the session until March 1st. Hoseman shares his concerns along with his priorities and outlook for the 2021 session.
0: It will begin on January the 5th because that's constitutionally required. us at first Tuesday after the new year. and We will come in on January the 5th. We will swear in. Uh, we will start... Uh, with the approval of the citizens vote on the flag. Um, The 72 or 73% of the people that voted for the new flag, we will adopt that officially, probably our first order of business. Uh, Then we will get into uh, a number of other normal issues that we have, you know, with legislative issues that we've got coming in, including a teacher pay raise.
4: There isn't a concern about the pandemic, and given the outbreak in the legislature last summer, you yourself contracting COVID-19. There's no concern about that?
0: I have a, a good bit of concern. I have I have proposed that the legislature adjourn after the first couple of days of perfunctory work, uh, advising consent matters and other things that had to get done and re uh, rejourn re-come into session on March the 1st and finish May the 28th. Uh, the reason to do that we're uh, several first um we are a citizen legislation all of our legislature all of our men and women here go back to throughout mississippi uh we would be as dr dobbs and when i spoke with him about this we would be a super spreader um and we have 174 people up here that uh that go back to every nook and cranny of the state I want people to be able to speak to their legislators uh, in this building and also when they're at home. Secondly, we've got uh, 200 people that work in the Capitol here. I worry about each of them. And then, of course, I worry about my uh, members of the Senate and the members of the House uh, contacting it. And it made common sense to me that we would adjourn until the 1st of March and then uh, come back when the vaccines had been, you know, much further along and then we would finish by May the 28th. So we, we have to do our budget by June the 30th. We meet those requirements. Uh, we we would have two other things. One, something's going to come from Washington, uh, monetary finally, I think, and probably again when uh, the new president is uh, installed. those That would give us time to look at the dollars coming from Washington and make sure they're allocated like we did with the CARES money.
4: You mentioned uh, a teacher pay raise being addressed rather immediately when the the session uh, gets underway. But the governor has indicated in his budget proposal he doesn't have a teacher pay raise. We've heard from some legislators who said they don't see a teacher pay raise happening because of limited revenues. And we've heard some who support it. So where do you stand on this?
0: Uh, I want a teacher pay raise, and I, I think that it will come out of the Senate.
4: What is your reaction to Governor Reeves' proposal to eliminate the income tax?
0: Well, he he made that proposal, but he didn't he didn't make any uh, statement in regards to how we would accomplish it. Um, the income tax raises about one point nine billion dollars to two billion dollars out of a out of a five point six billion dollar budget. So it's about I don't know thirty-five or forty percent of the total revenue um, that comes to the state. Um, it's roughly the amount of money that we pay for education, for example. So we we won't, we are downsizing government. We eliminated in our budget proposal four thousand two hundred pins. Um, we we kept a five percent cut in. State
4: Explain government. what that is to our listeners. Pins.
0: Oh, that would be uh, that's positions work. Where uh, state uh, state employees have positions to work for the state of Mississippi. So if you don't have a uh, pin, if you don't have a position that is authorized by the state personnel board, you can't be employed. So we had we had four thousand vacant pins, and we eliminated those in our in our budget proposal this year. Again, continuing to shrink the size of government, um, we eliminated two agencies last year and shrunk a third. Um, so we we are getting government. In right sizing, I think, for its core competencies to make sure they perform well, but we're not spending any money. We don't, we don't have to. So that's ongoing. Those savings will come, will be available for a reduction in taxes, but it's not $1.9 billion. Um, so it's very difficult to get, to get to there. I, I would like for people to pay the minimum amount of taxes possible. I love to eliminate taxes, but when you do that, if you do that without Uh, adjusting the budget downward as we're working on doing now, you just move the tax to something else, like uh, increasing sales tax, which I don't want to do, grocery tax, which I'm opposed to do. So uh, uh, your real property taxes go up or something else. I mean, there is no free lunch. We don't print money in Mississippi. Only the government does that. But just a carte blanche elimination, I I think that's more of a political than than a realistic statement.
4: Where else can we expect focus this year where perhaps we didn't during the last session?
0: Uh, We have been working um, on the state parks, for example. Uh, We've been informed they need $147 million to to bring them up to speed. Um, There's a lot of things that need to be done to our state parks and how that's accomplished and who runs them and whether um, whether they keep them running through one organization or another or all of that has been on the table and is being discussed now. So I assume there'll be something out on state parks. The, um, we have a scope of practice. Our public health senator Brian is leading that discussion. Uh, we've been in heavy discussions. Uh, I've been in some of those, uh, Senator Blackwell and representative hood from the house are leading on the, on revising Medicaid, uh, has a number of different moving parts. Um, uh, uh, very, um, very, very interesting and in that they're doing a really good job digging into a lot of issues. Uh, so we'll have a medic, what's called a Medicaid tech bill this year. Um, alcoholic Beveraging Commission is um, getting exceptionally poor marks. Uh, I've been there personally. Uh, we have problems in the delivery system, the acquisition, the storage. We have problems just about everywhere with that one. So uh, they're holding hearings on that. Senator Harkins is leading those and I expect to be some actions on the ABC system and how, how it works. I've uh, been in deep discussions with um, with the attorney general and our attorneys on the mental health litigation. Uh, we've expanded money for mental health last year. There'll probably be further uh, further funds spent for mental health this year, and hopefully a settlement on that uh, litigation that's forthcoming. So we we have a
4: lot. You have a full plate, certainly. That's what it sounds like. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, thank you for spending time with us this morning.
0: Thank you. It's always good to talk to you, Karen.
4: The legislative session begins tomorrow. Coming up, a moratorium that prevents evictions has been extended by the federal government, but one apartment association leader says unpaid housing bills are still piling up for thousands of Mississippians. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. temporary relief is being extended for some Mississippi residents who've been unable to pay rent during the coronavirus pandemic. Part of the relief bill passed by Congress and signed by President Trump last month protects renters from eviction for at least one more month, but they will continue to receive bills. James Burwell, president-elect of the Mississippi Apartment Association, tells our Kobe Vance there will need to be more rental assistance programs in 2021 to help renters and property owners through the remainder of the coronavirus pandemic.
2: It's an incomplete solution to a a great problem, A, a problem much larger than the bill that was passed. As a renter, the eviction moratorium does not forgive rent. And unfortunately, it's putting countless people behind and they're accumulating debt that they won't be able to repay. And that's part of the big misunderstanding with the moratorium is that Some renters believe that they're not responsible for the accrued rent. And here we are as we enter 2021, you have several renters who have not been able to pay rent since March. So we're rapidly approaching a year's worth of rent, which for some people is just going to be an insurmountable debt. So, I mean, as a renter, it gives you a pause some relief temporarily, but it also saddles you with an undue debt that, unfortunately, most will not be able to pay unless there's a comprehensive rental assistance package passed.
3: Mississippi does have the Mississippi uh, rental, rental assistant Grant Program. Um, has, has that been a, a help in this process at all?
2: It's helped some, but honestly from the feedback from our members not being a ton of people who've applied for it. The owners have to apply for it on behalf of their residents, and the feedback that we've been getting from those members who have done it, you know, they've received these benefits. They're able to send some of their residents letters telling them that their balances have been paid in full. I mean, could you imagine what a a great Christmas gift, New Year's gift, I mean, that's that's an awesome experience. So the, the program has worked from the feedback that we've received. It's just not being utilized 100%. And my fear is if we don't ramp up participation that when we go back to the table, and I believe we're getting more funds from the bill that was recently passed, if those funds are still underutilized, further rental assistance would be needed in the future. Owners cannot provide the necessary services needed without the income. You know, one thing that's, that's missed is that the operation still has to keep going. There's still going to be maintenance costs. There's still going to be utilities costs. There's still going to be mortgages on many of those properties. So owners are relying on the funds from their renters to directly pay for those expenses. Now from, a renter's perspective if renters don't get comprehensive assistance to unsaddle them with that debt they're going to be faced with an insurmountable task of being evicted from one place but then not being able to rent somewhere else because of the debt that they have so it's a catch-21 while the eviction moratorium gives temporary relief, it also does not fully solve the problem. The only way to fully solve the problem is to have comprehensive assistance.
3: So looking into 2021, uh, what do you think are some of the challenges we're going to have to face in terms of housing?
2: I mean, housing inequality has been an issue long before COVID-19 pushed it to the forefront. As a country, we really need to look at affordable housing solutions, that's the primary thing. And then working together to find, I guess, a comprehensive relief, not just for renters and not just for owners. There's a way that we can work together and we just need to come to the table. I I think it's beneficial to bring renters into this discussion. You know, I hear from people every day who just aren't working, who cannot truthfully afford to eat at night and they they can't afford to think about what they're going to, how they're going to pay their rent or how they're going to pay their light bill or how they're going to, you know, do some of the essential tasks of daily life. So I think the way we fix that is just coming to the table. Rental affordability is a big thing, safe, affordable, clean, functional housing is another big thing, and we just need investments. It's going to take widespread investments, whether that comes from the private sector, partnering with municipalities, or, you know, even on the federal level, we have got to figure this out, and the only way to figure it out is to provide better housing and provide more housing for those who are in need.
4: James Burwell is the president-elect of the Mississippi Apartment Association. Coming up, a museum district receives grant funding to create more engagement spaces for Mississippi families. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
0: Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.
1: This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks.
4: This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. The Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi Foundation is awarding a nearly $4 million grant to create a state-of-the-art complex for physical and educational activities. The grant is for the LaFleur's Bluff State Park Education and Tourism Partnership, a collaboration between Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks, Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and the Mississippi Children's Museum. Susan Gerard is the President and CEO of the Children's Museum. She shares more about the grant and the partnership with Michael Guidry.
1: The grant will provide some essential funds to create um, a a 21st century playground, an outdoor classroom and pavilion, and one of my favorites and one of the things I'm most excited about is a museum walking trail between the two museums that'll have some interactive experiences along that walking trail. So it's going to be a very exciting project for not only our two museums and the children and families that enjoy that. But for our whole state, we uh, anticipate that this will, we have two wonderful cultural institutions, two of the state's top um, tourism attractions and educational institutions with the Mississippi Children's Museum and the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And we think this just will be an incredible enhancement to both of our institutions.
3: It's a project that will really utilize the, the outdoor space between the museums. Uh, the, the Children's Museum is a, a comprehensive experience in and of itself. Um, but what does it mean for both you as the president and CEO of the Children's Museum, but also a part of this larger museum community to have such an interactive outdoor space, especially when we consider some of the challenges um, that, we're, that that we're facing with the pandemic and the limitations on indoor gatherings?
1: Absolutely. Having beautiful, very accessible outdoor space, I think we've seen how important that is, um, not just for our museums, but for our community at large to be able to be able to access um, these play spaces in a very safe and um, uh, tangible and way during the pandemic. And to be able to work on this project and plan for this project has been, I think this experience helped us as we were planning just um, to be able to think about how we use the outdoors, particularly children uh, right now, and the way that our play activities that we're structuring would be inclusive to all children. Um, Also, How we would divide and separate our play areas, particularly on the playground, on this 21st century playground, would be based on age and what's most age appropriate for children ages six months to 12 years old. So definitely the pandemic has played a role in educating us and and also really inspiring us to think about getting folks uh, outside and enjoying these beautiful shared spaces between our two award-winning museums.
3: You're right, the the pandemic has caused us to kind of reassess and and rethink ways we we approach things. What adjustments have you made, and then how are you, you know, through those adjustments, reaching out to Mississippi's children and families uh, as per your, your mission?
1: I think that the pandemic really gave the Mississippi Children's Museum a chance to stretch in ways that I think we had always wanted to, but just out of necessity um, we began to reach out to children and families almost shortly you know after the pandemic was in full swing in the spring uh, our museum began planning online resources and we've had over a million unique visitors to our activities from teachers and um our own education team here has provided Great educational resources to families, to educators, people that were trying to navigate, you know, online learning at home, or teachers that were trying to provide, uh, good material for their own, for their own classes and their own online classrooms. And so we've stretched, we've stretched in that way. Also, as we came through the summer months, we, we still had, you know, children and families. We were, uh, basically, closing three times a day to clean, and we were able to safely welcome folks. But as we got closer to the school year, um, we we knew that Jackson Public Schools was going to go back just to for in, online learning, and we knew that there would be children in our community who may maybe didn't have a good um, their families were essential workers or had to go back to work or maybe they didn't have Wi-Fi or device. And so we decided to, um, thanks to the generosity of our members, um, we're able to close Monday through Friday, and we have pods of children for a program we call Launch into Learning, and those children join us for their online um, school um, and then stay for after school. So it's been a really um, um this year has been a real challenge, but it's also been a real blessing to be able to really learn um, the role the museum can play in our community.
3: Yeah, I think lots of lots of places are, are, are learning and discovering new things as they're being forced to uh, adapt to the challenges of, of the pandemic. When can Mississippi families uh, expect to come to the LaFleur's Bluff site and, and experience that large interactive space?
1: We have basically three key components of this project. The first is the 21st Century Playground. It's going to feature over 80 play activities. Um, 73 of those features are going to be inclusive to children with accessibility needs. So we're very excited about that, and we believe that will be the first um, component that we will open. We are projecting and hoping that that playground will open next summer, our next phase will include our outdoor classroom and pavilion. Um we are really excited about this. And then the Mississippi the museum walking trail, which I'm really excited about, um, is going to be is we're planning it right now and this um eight foot walking trail is gonna feature some um pods of educational con components that we are being inspired from a newberry Uh, honor award-winning children's book called Mem of the Mississippi, and it's about a little turtle that goes on a journey, um, and he makes it through his journey with the help of his friends, and um, we think it's a great analogy for the pandemic. We're all on a journey, and um, we hope um, that this walking trail will really give our families and children something engaging, um, but also safely so that they can walk between our two beautiful museums.
3: Susan Gerard is the president and CEO of the Mississippi Children's Museum. Susan, thank you so much. Uh, thank you.
4: This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it.